So this morning, we're starting a series of sermons focused on the authority of the Bible. And I'm going to tip my hand here at the front. For those of you who have never played poker, um, all three of you, this, um, not the Cook family, (laughs) um, this means I'm going to tell you up front where I'm going. The Bible is the true story of the whole world and it is authoritative for all of life. The theme of these sermons, it's going to be about, it's going to be four sermons. It'll be interrupted in the middle by a couple of weeks and a downtown talks. The theme is this, the Bible is the true story of the whole world and it is authoritative for all of life. This is a basic belief of Christianity. The authority of the Bible is is an essential component of the Christian faith. Without this belief, not just the belief, but also putting it into practice. Living under the authority. Without this, we do not have Christianity. We have all the sound and fury. The trappings, we could go on doing this on Sunday mornings. We could keep this beautiful liturgy and keep it as a cultural artifact of a glorious past when they knew how to use words. But we have gutted Christianity and invented a new religion. The belief that the Bible is the true story of the whole world and it is authoritative for all of life is essential to Christianity. Take it away and you do not have Christianity. You have a civic religion that guards the status quo of your particular culture, but you do not have Christianity. So there are going to be four sermons and a downtown talks all centered around this. The Bible is a true story of the whole world and it's authoritative for all of life. And I realize this is not simple for our church. After all, right now, sitting in this room, we have children. We have college students. We have non-Christians. We have some people who've been Christians for 98 years. Fran? And those of us who have been Christians a long time, our diversity is astonishing. We're recovering fundamentalists. Episcopalians from cradle. Presbyterians. Mennonites. Baptists. Methodists. Sounds like a bad joke. (laughs) In all of these backgrounds, we should never underestimate the different views we have on the Bible in this room. The different back baggage and opinions and perspectives and beliefs when it comes to how we think about and view the Bible. So what I'm going to do to start this series is to try to get us all on some level ground. I want us to take several steps way, way back. I want to describe something that all of us From struggling Mennonites to recovering fundamentalists, Baptists and Presbyterians. Something that we share in common that deeply shapes the way we conceive of Scripture. The way we approach the Bible. The way this statement I've made several times that the Bible is authoritative for all of life. The way it strikes our ear. Something that we all have in common. And it's this. We live in the modern era. 
All of us do. Modernity, this thing we live in, it emerged out of the Enlightenment and the post-Enlightenment. So all of us in this room, regardless of our religious tradition, regardless of where we stand in relation to the claims of Christ or not, all of us in this room are children of the Enlightenment, or at least grandchildren or stepchildren. And we should be grateful for this. After all, who among us, when they have a toothache, wants to go to a medieval dentist? We should be grateful for the enlightenment. But the incredible benefits of the enlightenment of modernity, this is not all there is to the story. At the very center of the enlightenment, the engine that drives modernity is this. Big word, I'll try to unpack it. Human autonomy. That is the driving force of the enlightenment. The driving force of modernity. In the words of Immanuel Kant, one of the founders of the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment is fundamentally our exodus from the voluntary imprisonment of refusing to trust our own understanding. So the motto of the Enlightenment always has been, have the courage to use your own understanding. Now, you might not know that, but you've said some version of it. Your faith is not yours until you own it. Only children of the Enlightenment would say that. That that is a product of the Enlightenment. You see, at the heart of the Enlightenment is a view about what it means to be human, about the nature of human beings. The Enlightenment said the old way, that's the Dark Ages. Now, look. What if you got a divorce and you called your ex-wife the dark one? You're tipping your hand as to your prejudice about her. When you get to a moment in life and you refer to everything before it as the dark ages, there's an agenda behind that name, behind that title, behind that description. What does it mean to say we are the enlightenment? What if our church said we're the enlightened ones and all other churches are the dark ones? We laugh, but that's what we do with history. When we say medieval, dark ages, now enlightenment. Enlightenment said the old way, that's the dark ages. That's ignorance. That's being imprisoned in dogma and tradition. But now we've learned to throw off the authority of kings and priests. Now we think for ourselves. Now we use God-given reason. So we get democracy instead of tyranny, reason instead of dogma. So the society we live in is fundamentally suspicious of authority. The way to solve our problems, the way to a kinder, more just, more beautiful, the way to peace is reason, logic. And make no mistakes, when you go to college... That is what you're being indoctrinated in. Going to college is just like going to Sunday school. You are being indoctrinated. And at college, in our public school system, which my kids go to, which I support, there is an indoctrination. And it is fundamentally more than, it, more than the fight over evolution or any of those skirmishes. It's about this. 
Now, now postmodernism, which began here in the West in the 1980s, postmodernism has definitely challenged this, but it has not solved the central problem. Look at it this way. In modernity, the way to truth, to the good life, to peace, to a kind and flourishing community, the way to that is to reject tradition and dogma and instead use reason. And then in postmodernity, we keep that belief. We just give up one part of it. The fairy tale that there is any such thing as truth. So in modernity, you end up proud, brutal people, right? The modern century, the 21st century is the most brutal century in, 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 in recorded history. Hands down, more brutal than anything in the dark ages. Perpetrated by the kings and queens of the enlightenment. But what do you get with postmodernism? Nihilism. The king is irony. Irony is wonderful. When it's exposing lies. It's a terrible master. So we live in a moment where we're just happy nihilists. We're filled with ennui. We, we just kind of ironize everything. You know, when Jonathan Swift wrote a modest proposal, a brilliant expose of a lie. Ecclesiastes, the most brilliant expose of a lie that I've ever read. Ecclesiastes is a joyfully ironic book. But the moment irony becomes the end point, it offers nothing. So this room right now is filled with a bunch of happy, cynical postmoderns and arrogant moderns. Not all of you. Now, I know all of this is a little heady, and I'll try to stop with that. But here's the deal. The whole context is critical for dealing with authority. The authority of scripture. When we think about the authority of scripture, we've got to come to grips with our innate view of authority. Look at it this way. Two young salmon, I've told this many times, are swimming along. A wizened old salmon swims by, looks at the young salmon and says, how's the water, guys? The two young salmon, salmon. (laughs) I'll get there. The two young salmon keep swimming. One looks at the other and says, water, what's that? Did you hear about the whale that was told about an ocean? So this whale, he swam all over the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, looking for an ocean. And he can't find one. The point is, whoever discovered water, it wasn't a fish. Whoever discovered the oceans, it was not a whale. Culture is like that. We are so immersed in our modern era. We're so immersed in our own culture, we can't even see it. Culture is so much a part of us that it is very difficult to see our own culture. You know this. If you've ever traveled, sometimes you come back home and you see something you never saw before. Whoever discovered water, it wasn't a fish. Whoever discovered modernity, it wasn't people who stayed in modernity. My point is, and I'll stop with the heady stuff if this bores you. My point is that we live 500 years into a moment in time where authority is suspect. And tradition and religious dogma are shackles. And belief in the authority of of the Bible makes you vulnerable to manipulation. It means you have a lack of critical awareness. 
And working out of the suspicion of authority for hundreds of years, here in the West, we've learned, we've learned that the Bible is unreliable when it comes to telling us what actually happened. We've learned that when it comes to science, well, the Bible's impossible. We know now it took billions of years to create this inhabitable planet, not seven days. And when it comes to culture, it's regressive. I mean, have you read all the slavery and patriarchy in the Bible? And then there's the morality of the Bible. Have you ever added up how many people God kills in the Bible? What kind of moral God is that? And what about the Bible's outdated notions of gender, which lead to the suppression of women? And when it comes to the text of the Bible, I mean, after all, we don't have any original manuscripts. We don't. What we have has been edited and changed, not to mention the content, filled as it is with contradictions. So we live in this stream that's been flowing for nearly 500 years, and it's produced a whole set of tools and a plausibility structure that tells us the Bible is historically unreliable, scientifically impossible, culturally regressive, morally suspect, and textually corrupt. That's quite a challenge. And what is the result? The result is that the Bible becomes interesting because it's a cultural artifact. It's been massively influential, so we we study it. But submitting to the teachings of the Bible, as if the Bible has authority... Come on now. You're smarter than that. I mean, look at it this way. What would happen, college students? Seriously, what would happen if you were to say in a class, out loud, to the whole class and to the teacher, sex with anybody other than your spouse of the opposite gender is morally wrong. It is evil. Now, in the discussion that ensued... What if you said, the reason I know that's true is because the Bible says it? How would that go at JMU? How would that go at EMU? High school students, how would that go in in one of your classes? Uh, Professors, what if you were to say to a group of your colleagues or in a lecture to your students... Giving 10% of your income to God through the church is an obligation for all of us. What would happen? And what would happen in the ensuing discussion if you were to say, I know that's true because the Bible says it's true. What about the doctors in the room? Salesmen, homemakers, counselors. What would happen if you actually said, abortion is murder? And in the ensuing discussion, you were to say, the reason I know it's murder is because the Bible says. How would that go? Now, I'm not saying you should say this stuff. I'm not saying you should have that exact discussion. I'm trying to expose a stark reality about Scripture as authoritative. In most of these situations, you would get pushback. And and some people would want to argue about if the Bible says that or not, right? There's people in this room that disagree if the Bible actually says some of those things. But that's a very important discussion that should be had. Put that aside. At some point, though, if you ever got around to not arguing about the interpretation, but you actually said, the Bible says it, so it's true 
and it's authoritative and you will be judged based on that. How would that part of the discussion go? We live 500 years into an era that is naturally suspicious of authority, even more so of religious authority, even more so of this book. We live in a moment that says, if I can't understand it, if I can't see the logic in it, I'm not going to submit to it. We have a child who in a discussion with mom and dad frequently says, I don't understand. And my response is, who cares? Obedience leads to understanding. Try saying that to your colleagues at work. I get away with that at home because I'm dad. And this is the house. Bob, could you say that to your colleague? No, there's no way we can say authority in that kind of way. Now, this has been an incredibly long introduction, three times as long as I normally like to take. I promise the rest of the sermon won't follow suit. But we have to be honest. When I say the Bible is the true story of the whole world and it is authoritative for all of life today, this is a strong claim and it is going to challenge all of us because we are the fish, we are the whale, we swim in modernity and listen, our, the resistance to authority lives in us. All right, end of the introduction. For the next part of the sermon... We're going to look at how the Bible itself describes its authority. Turn in your Bible to this passage that Noel read to us earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I hope you brought a Bible. Um, We'll forgive Gil who uses that thing. Um, Scroll on your iPad. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you need to use a table of contents, that's totally fine. The Bible is huge. It's massive. It's complex. It takes a long time to get used to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul, the author of this letter to the church in Corinth. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. I've applied all these things to myself. And Apollo, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Now, when Paul uses the phrase, what is written, if you write in your Bible, underline that. He is always referring to Scripture. In fact, he's already quoted the Old Testament six times in this letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, chapter 1, verse 31, chapter 2, verse 9, 2, 16, 3, 19, 3, 20. And each time, some point in your own time, you can go look up these. Each time when Paul quotes the Old Testament, two things are clear. First, when Paul quotes the Old Testament, he is treating the Old Testament as God's word Directly addressed to him and his, the recipients of his letter. This is a remarkable thing. He's reaching in to an ancient historical document that was written hundreds of years before his time. And he's treating it as God's word directly, directly communicating today. Not as, not an artifact to study historically. 
It's a relevant, living, present word of God to him and his recipients in that moment. And it's not just Paul and the Corinthians, and it's not just the Old Testament. The church, throughout history, when it comes to the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, has made the same move. Anything less is sub-Christian. You can change Christianity all you want. But if you change its essence, have the humility to say it. The church throughout time has regarded Scripture as the place where we can expect to hear the voice of the one and only God. Second, for Paul, when he's quoting the Old Testament, for Paul and for the the Christians in Corinth, and indeed for the church throughout history, there is an attitude about Scripture that whether it's the Old or the New Testament, it carries God's authority. It is not a dialogue partner. It is an authoritative thing over us. Now you might disagree with that. But that's taking the text seriously. A theologian by the name of John Calvin summed up the basic attitude I'm talking about when he wrote, God's will is to speak to us by the mouths of apostles and prophets. Their mouths are to us the mouth of the only true God. Apostles and prophets, he's not using some current charismatic version of that. He's talking about the apostles in scripture and the prophets in scripture. Another way to put it is what scripture says God is saying. Christine read to us from Isaiah. Turn there. Isaiah chapter 55. Verse 10. Isaiah 55. It's a few pages to the left. Isaiah 55 verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth. Making it bring forth and sprout. Giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You know that. You know that's what rain does. Snow does. In the same way. Here's God. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose. And shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Pay very close attention here. Here is scripture pointing away from itself. It, the word of God, scripture, shall accomplish that which I, God, purposes. Do you see that? It's pointing away. Now part of what this shows us, and this is critical to everything I'm going to say in the weeks ahead, is that the authority of Scripture is a shorthand statement. It's shorthand for this. God works through Scripture to bring about His kingdom. 
In fact, just listen to this verse from another part of the Bible, Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those that have been existed and instituted by God. So anytime we're talking about authority from the Bible's perspective, it's always God's authority mediated. So whenever we say the authority of Scripture, that shorthand for God's authority delegated to Scripture, working through Scripture to do something, to do this thing God is doing in our world. Now this is foundational to any way of thinking about the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture is from God. It is God's authority exercised through Scripture. In fact, this is exactly what we see in Isaiah 55, verse 12 to 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Beautiful image. Right? This is an image of human beings reconciled to God. And the next issue, look, the next image that we get in Isaiah is of creation being reconciled to the creator. The mountains and the hills before you shall speak forth in singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Look, this is the healing of creation. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What we see here is that scripture is the vehicle God is using to heal humans and creation. Not technology. Not education. Not logic. Not art. Not government. The central thing God is using in the spirit... Through Christ is scripture. Now what is God doing through scripture? Well it's something we've talked about many many times. What is he doing? He's bringing shalom. A life of flourishing. Prospering. In our relationship with God and with each other. In the context of a thriving and luxuriant creation. This is God's agenda. So look, when you hear me say the authority of Scripture and you are naturally kind of bothered by authority and you naturally think of authority as tyrant, as a tyrant, as a prison, remember the authority of God exercised through Scripture is the healing of creation. Who, who wouldn't want that kind of leader? Who wouldn't want that kind of boss? Who wouldn't want that kind of thing? Don't you want to submit to something that makes you more truly yourself? So when we talk about the authority of God and the authority of Scripture, we've always got to define authority according to Scripture. And it is this wise healing of creation and of humans. It is God's kingdom coming to birth on earth as it is in heaven. It is the renewal of every square inch. Of the cosmos. So when we're talking about the authority of scripture. This is what we're talking about. When I say the Bible is a true story of the whole world. And it is authoritative for all of life today. It would be wrong to feel negative about that. Yes feelings can be wrong. They might be authentic. But they can still be wrong. And if your feeling about that is wrong. Fix it. Right? If my wife says I love you and I feel tyrannized by that and she's not being a tyrant, I'm wrong. And I need to get healed so that I can hear her rightly. 
Now that's the single point I'm making this morning. Scripture is a vehicle God uses. It is the key vehicle God uses. Now for the last couple of minutes, I want to push this into your life. When we're thinking and arguing and debating about abortion and sexuality and gender and healthcare and economics and education and other religions, the heart of the issue is the question of authority. Am I my own authority? Or do I only truly find myself when I submit to this God who has come to me in Jesus Christ and speaks to me in many ways, but most authoritatively through Scripture? So let me get obnoxious. Parents. Family life today. Raising children today is a disaster. Children today in America are beastly. They're rude. They're disrespectful. They lack self-discipline. And if a child doesn't learn self-discipline when he grows up, you know what an adult who lacks self-discipline does? It's bad. And you know what? It is no different in the church of the incarnation than it is in the world. Parenting in our church is awful. See, it would be really rude of me to sit here talking about sexuality and gender and abortion that we all mostly agree on, but not let the authority strike to the heart of our lives. Have you read more parenting books that were written in the last 50 years than you've read the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs is the greatest parenting book ever written. It carries the authority of God and it is chock full of parenting advice. Do you know James Dobson or whoever better than you know Proverbs? See, you might be in theory submitting to the authority of God, but you're functioning like a modern. And let me get even more personal. There's a narrative in our culture that says disciplining children is bad. But that's wrong. You know why that's wrong? Because the Bible says it's wrong. Parents, what does it profit a man to be kind and gentle and good and generous but not let the Bible teach you how to parent? Now, I'm not saying the Bible alone. No, we need a lot more than the Bible. We need modern psychological insight into childhood. No doubt. If you go into life with the idea that the Bible alone is enough, you are really going to get messed up. It's not. And there are plenty of things that the Bible doesn't say anything about. What I'm saying, though, is are you living under the authority of Scripture? Or because you think about parenting in a certain way and it feels logical to you, are you trumping Scripture? You see, that's the move. If I don't understand it, if I don't see it, if I don't feel its logic, then I reject it. All right, enough with the parents. Who else should I pick on? It's not just parents. 
It's all of us. The Bible is the true story of the whole world and it is authoritative for all of life today. And as we learn it and yield to God's work in and through scripture, what do we get? Life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live in a moment in history that is trying to build civilization without God. And I propose to you, it is the only time this has happened in the history of the world. And you know what happens when you try to build a civilization with bread alone? Utter catastrophe. So we've got to learn to yield to God's authority in Scripture. Not for the sake of stop acting like that and act like this, you're embarrassing me. But so that we can be who God made us to be. So that we can bloom like a rose blooms in the sun. So that all of creation can be led forth. Jumping and skipping. So that we like the mountains can break forth in freedom and happiness and joy. There's so much more to say. So many questions. So many issues I've I've not dealt with. But I just want to get that one thing on the radar this morning. The Bible is the true story of the world. And it is authoritative for all of life. It brings life. In the weeks ahead, we'll come at this and try to answer a lot of the stuff I've left out. Let's pray.